0: You're listening to a dietitian cafe, brought to you by New Outra, where we discuss the world of nutrition and dietetics. Weight stigma is becoming an increasing issue in society, and healthcare professionals should not feel judged on their ability to do their job based on their appearance. We have brought together a leading researcher on weight stigma amongst healthcare professionals and a dietitian with lived experience of weight stigma amongst fellow dietitians to discuss the importance of this topic and to discuss whether there's a place for large dietitians in the dietetic profession. So without further ado, I'm delighted to be joined by Anne Wright, registered dietitian, and Stuart Flint on today's episode. I'm going to hand over to Anne
1: now to tell you a bit more about herself. Thanks, Harriet. Um, As you said, my name's Anne. I'm a registered dietitian. I've been a registered dietitian now for uh, coming up to 28 years, and I've worked across Australia and the United Kingdom in a variety of roles in hospitals, in the community, but, and, and also in higher education. Um, but now I work as a freelance practitioner um, doing health writing and seeing patients and, and project work.
2: Hi, I'm Stuart Flint. I'm Associate Professor of Psychology at the University of Leeds. Uh, I'm also uh, an honorary academic for the Office of Health Improvement and Disparities um, as part of the Department of Health uh, and Social Care uh, for the government. And uh, finally, I'm president of Scaled Insights, which is uh, an artificial uh, intelligence company based in in Leeds. Um, I've been studying weight stigma for uh, nearly 20 years now, um, and my research has covered um, why people develop stigmatizing attitudes towards people based on weight status and appearance, uh, the implications of weight stigma, uh, different settings that weight stigma may occurring, uh, and of course, I've also um, developed different types interventions to reduce weight stigma
0: thank you very much Anne and stuart it's a real pleasure to have you with us on the dietitian cafe today so we're going to dive straight on into our quick fire round of questions so that our listeners can get to know you both a bit better so i'm going to begin with you stuart can you tell us about your favorite movie
2: oh favorite movie uh i don't really watch movies to be quite honest um um, but seeing as um, Christmas wasn't so long ago I would probably say that um, the movie I've seen the most would be Home Alone either one or two uh, comes on every Christmas and there's uh, always a good movie to watch at this time of the year
0: definitely love the music from Home Alone as well always gets you in a yep. festive spirit
1: and how about you? Do you have a favorite film or television series that I, you enjoy? I'm the complete opposite because I just I I'm a prolific movie watcher and I've watched movies since I was little. And um it's like choosing between your children, really, trying to choose your favorite movie. Um but I think a really random movie called Joe versus the volcano is probably my favorite. Not many people have seen it or heard or watched it. Um but yeah, that one and some of the old, old style movies some of the sixties movies like Harold and Maud. So yeah, quite a range really. I have to add those to my never ending Netflix list. Um,
0: um, second question and let's go with you first. Are you a tea or a coffee drinker?
1: Oh, coffee.
0: I'm Australian. We, we love our coffee. And how about you Stuart as an academic, are you um, often relying on that caffeine fix?
2: Uh, I am. Um, I drink both tea and coffee, uh, uh, I try to limit the amount that I'm drinking these days, so uh, it's it's more of you know how can I reduce my my consumption, um, than uh, you know do I can do I consume tea and coffee? Tea is usually a, a first thing, and you know later in the evening and coffee throughout the day.
0: How about herbal teas? Are you a fan of those? Um, no, not
2: really. I, I do like a fruit, fruit tea every now and again, but that's really when I've overconsumed on on coffee and tea, <laughs> and I should probably have something, uh, something else. <laughs>
0: And our final question, Stuart, do you have any hidden talents that our listeners wouldn't know about?
2: No, I'm pretty boring, to be quite honest. Uh, hidden talents, uh, I think any talents that I've got, people would know about. Um, you know, I'm quite an active person, do a lot of sport, play football, play rugby. Uh, um, yeah, I work and, you know, when I get time out, I'll, I'm trying to be, to be active.
0: And Anne,
1: any hidden talents from your side? Gosh, I, I don't. Once again, I don't. I don't think I've got anything that's hidden. It's um, I'm as as people who know me online know I'm I'm quite an open book, so nothing about me is hidden really. Um, but I've I've tried loads of things, like I, I used to fish and and dive and and such like, which obviously you don't get to do that much in in the UK, especially in the northwest where it's freezing cold. But as far as talents goes, I, it's hidden from me as well. So when I find out, I'll let you know. One thing I ha- have to point out,
0: Anne, I don't know if you classify it as a hidden talent, is that you have a phenomenal Facebook community for freelance dietitians, which not, perhaps not everyone will be aware of. But um, I think it's an invaluable resource and it's all down to your hard work. So I think that's one of your hidden talents.
1: Oh, that's lovely. It's a, it's a nice community. It's um, yeah, it's it's a it's made up of its members. So that's where it's um, the, the good parts of it are.
0: Great, so now that we found out more about our guests, we're gonna delve straight into these important topics for discussion. Now, the first question I want to ask you, Stuart, is how do we begin by defining weight stigma?
2: Well, weight stigma, uh, there's a lot of different definitions that are used for weight stigma, but in its simplest form, it ultimately refers to negative attitudes towards people based on weight status. Now, this can include bias and stereotypes um, and can be and can actually be experienced by people right across the weight spectrum. However, in society, uh, the dominant discourse and rhetoric means that people with a higher weight status, um, so typically within the overweight and obesity ranges, will experience weight stigma. Um, and again, this, this could be subjective as weight stigma uh, may be directed towards people. Um, purely based on appearance and a perception that somebody is uh, uh, in, in a higher weight category as such. So um, from a definition perspective, the simplest form is is that it's negative attitudes towards people purely based on someone's weight status.
0: Thank you, Stuart. And Anne, from a personal perspective, as someone who's experienced weight stigma within the dietetic profession, how would you define weight stigma?
1: What does it mean to you? Oh, um, it's, very, very much as Stuart has said, but it's—I mean, I don't necessarily have a specific definition, but it's just any any discrimination of yeah, of the same thing, based on appearance and that sort of perception of 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 and attributing values based on people's perception of of weight. Um, so that's probably the way I would define it. Okay.
0: Thank you. We'll come on to that in more detail later on in the episode. I just wanted to go back to you, Stuart, to find out a bit more about where this passion for delving into weight stigma amongst health professionals comes from. What led to you working in this area?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's something that's been with me for a long time. Um, And I've been researching the topic for around about uh, 20 years, as I I mentioned earlier. Um, But actually going back, the development and and maintenance, uh, as well as implications of attitudes more generally and stereotypes, has been a topic I've always been interested in. I was interested in it in school. It was part of my A-level um, projects, actually. Um, and then as I progressed into university studies, um, I was learning more about um, obesity, about weights, uh, psychology relating to health behaviours as well as health outcomes. Um, uh, and then when I was um, studying for my the first masters that I studied for, uh, the masters in psychology. Um, I was clating a lot of different information materials, including media portrayal that was extremely stigmatizing about people. And, you know, i had been picking this up, but at that time, it was around right about 2006, um, I'd clated quite a bit of information and there was, um, you know, several articles that stuck with me. One article in particular that was about um, uh, a young boy. Um, it was um, a, a boy uh, who was living in Russia. Um, I remember the article. I remember a lot of the information about it. You know, he was um, uh, he was aged eight. Um, he was uh, I think sixteen stone. Um, they were referring to the the article. It was a news- newspaper in uh, the UK, referring to the boy as uh, a Russian tank. Um, there was active dehumanisation of the child. Refer- you know, talking about the child's base in relation to and comparing his weight to the weight of a baby elephant and um, you know, really dehumanizing the the child and stereotypes were very evident throughout and for me um, you know I was I was questioning a lot of the, the information that I was seeing in media but also in education and elsewhere um, about obesity um, and so it became a topic that I wanted to study for my projects uh, as a master's a student um, which um, which I completed and then went on to propose, um, you know, my, my research, focusing more on weight stigma, unconscious bias relating to um, weight status as part of my PhD. And and over the last 12 years, it's continued to be my, my main focus of my research.
0: And how have you found that your research has been received by fellow academics and healthcare professionals?
2: Um, that's differed over the time. Um you know, I think from academic communities, it was certainly something of interest. When I started my research, um, there was predominantly the, the other research in the space was in the US and um, not much in the UK. Um, my um, supervisory team hadn't worked in that area. Um, and so it was quite new uh, as, a, as a topic to explore. Um, and at times there has been... Uh, not just from academics and some health professionals, but also from public and media, um, people who didn't really like the topic area and and thought that actually in many instances, me studying weight stigma and the impact of weight stigma and calling out weight stigma was encouraging um, people to gain weight and encouraging obesity. And so, you know, there has been, you know, at times criticism. Um, And I remember the first times I went into, uh, to speak to to the government around about 2010, 11, it was a topic that people, uh, politicians, should I say, um, found interesting, um, but really wasn't a priority. Um, fortunately, as time's gone on, I've you know, published more, and, and there's other researchers now in this space as well, which is great. Um, so the, the, the accumulation of research really demonstrating the importance of weight stigma, the impact that uh, experiences of weight stigma has on people. Um it, it's changed over time and actually it's become a priority and um, so around about 2015-16 it, it became more of a priority and actually you know um, if you look at um, you know uh, some of the work of groups like the All Party Parliamentary Group and um, even the government now the Office of Health Improvement and Disparities that I'm, I'm an honorary academic for now, weight stigma is actually a topic that the government are interested in, are focused on and you know, across society, there's different groups, um, healthcare groups, healthcare authorities, Royal College of Physicians, for instance, British Dietetics Association, who have themes of work which are focused on addressing weight stigma. So, um, certainly o- over the, the time period that I've been been studying the topic, there's been a, a gathering of momentum and interest and um, and, and work in this space.
0: Thank you, Stuart. And we'll we'll come on to some of your findings in more detail later on. I just want to bring in Anne at this point. Anne, do you feel like um, weight stigma is being addressed in the dietetic profession? And can you tell us a bit more about your personal experiences of having weight stigma as a dietitian?
1: Yes. Actually, uh, when I was listening to the story of of the poor little guy who was being called a a tank, etc., I'm I'm glad I was on mute because I was saying oh no um quite a lot because um I I was actually an overweight child and teenager and it wasn't until I was sort of in my early 20s that I lost weight and um was an, an acceptable weight and um spent the the first part of my dietetic um career Um, As as a slim dietitian, it's only been since I turned about 45, say in the last 10 years, that I have been a a dietitian at a heavier weight. Um, And I experienced a lot of weight stigma as a child and a teen, but I never really expected it from the dietetic profession because I thought of all the people that would be kind to people who are at a heavier weight, it would be dietitians. Um, And, you know, obviously I want to start off by saying that there are some lovely welcoming and open minded um kind people in our profession who've never made me feel anything less um but there they, you know obviously there have been the occasions and I think most most dietitians who are at a heavier weight will will have experienced uh comments um you know not being given work uh I know myself as a freelance dietitian there's been opportunities that I haven't been given and that's pretty much been based on my appearance. So there's been a couple of jobs that I haven't been given, um, mostly in uh, weight loss areas and diabetes areas, actually, which was my previous specialty. And I think there's, when I worked in higher education, there were quite overt comments um, and that were, they were made about the students and about the lecturers who were heavy as well. I, I have, this the two specific memories that I have uh, a few years ago, the British Dietetic Association had an an anonymous open forum and it was something to do, I can't remember the exact um, plan for the for the forum, but it was to do with just future directions of the profession. And somebody had started a discussion on overweight dietitians and it was quite vicious. And it was quite shocking. And there were some people on there who were actually saying that that dietitians that a heavier weight or overweight dietitians, and we'll talk about terminology later, um, indeed shouldn't be practising. And I thought, well, what are they going to do? they Are going to send us off to a fat camp until we improve, until we can come back to work? I honestly found that quite shocking. Um, And the second one was uh, where I was working in a higher education role. I was actually invited into a small room with some people who were practicing or not practicing, just, you know, trialing a, um, a a master's student's questionnaire on weight bias. So I sat there with a couple of dietitians and we were doing the questionnaire quietly and there were questions like, you know, I see people um, who are overweight as lazy. I find people who are overweight unattractive, you know, tick yes, no. It was a really interesting questionnaire. And halfway through, one of the girls who was sitting in the office with me, Lifted her head up, looked at me, and said, "I'm sorry, but I'm just telling the truth." And I was absolutely shocked because I thought, "Why? Why was that um, an issue?" But I think the other thing is it it's not even just from the dietetic profession, and I know that um, the the comments and it's it's I guess it's just a peer plain old vicious attacks that sometimes we we get is you know don't trust a fat dietitian and um, you know they, they don't practice what they preach comes from other health professionals not just dietitians so um, you know doctors and uh, also I guess physiotherapist, some of the comments that I've had from other health professionals has been interesting as well. But it's it having been the SLIM dietitian, I found that I had another window into it because that's where you actually see most of the conversations because they're not people aren't really going to comment um, you know, directly to the person involved. But I, I saw quite a lot of discussions about overweight dietitians when I was slim. So yeah, it is it is there. Um I think that I think that most dietitians would like to think that they they're not involved, but I think that's you know maybe it's an unconscious bias. And a lot of the research that I've been looking at has shown that there is a bias you know against people of a heavier weight anyway in health professionals, so of course it's going to translate into the dietetic community. No, thank you for, for sharing that, Anne. And, and obviously, I'm
0: sorry to hear that you've you've had that experience within our profession. Um, I'm wondering, has that experience shaped the routes that you've taken in your own career? For example, I know when I've chatted to you before, Anne, you've said that you've actually quite enjoyed working in weight management and you feel that you're good at it. Um, mm. So has this experience influenced your career path at all? And if so, how? It
1: absolutely has. It absolutely has. And it's, I've I've, I've noticed that that, Quite a few of the dietitians who are in the similar boat to me tend to veer into pediatrics or nutritional support. I don't know whether that's purposeful, but it's just coincidental, perhaps. Um, but I I personally have veered away from from doing a weight management role, um, mostly because and I think a lot of the, the dietitians at a heavier weight will, will understand what I mean when you approach people and you tell them what you you do for a living, it's that look. You get this look that people give you, um, which is, you know, a sort of a disbelief and a, a really kind of look. But, um, yeah, I do... I have actually spoken to people and said, well, I don't do weight management because I don't feel comfortable at the moment doing it. And once I mention that, which is probably really stupid, I've probably just, you know, opened up the floodgates for, for all sorts of criticism. But um as soon as I say that, people are like sigh of relief and that, oh thank goodness you've said that because, you know, I, I don't think it's something that you should be doing. Um the, apart from the, the clinical areas, it, interestingly, I am really interested in the non-diet um, realm, although I'm not a haze dietitian, but, uh, cause I think that, you know, it's about choice. If people want to lose weight and they can do that safely, that's fine. But it, it's, but I am really interested in using a non-diet approach and also doing weight acceptance for people who are happy as they are. And, um, in, I've actually chosen not to go into that space as well because of the assumption that, oh, well, she's just doing that because she's fat. It's a safe space, you know. And I think that I've seen comments like that with heavier dietitians as well who are in that sort of clinical area or non-clinical as the case may be. Um, with my private practice, I really avoid being visible and that's because of the fear of attack. Um, I'm not a brave person, and I don't have a thick skin. Um, and I've I've watched various people. There's there's a um, NHS YouTube video on what what dietitians do in a day at the moment. And um, there's a lovely dietitian there who has already had the comments of I wouldn't trust her because she's heavy, etc. And it's I think you have to be a very brave person. To, to put yourself out there. And, and I think it's really made a difference to where my career has gone. But, you know, partly that's just my, my lack of courage. No, thank you for sharing that, Anne. And I know when I was planning this episode and was
0: speaking to several dietitians about potentially featuring on this episode, some of them were, were so afraid to come and share their views, like you said, for fear of attack from the profession. And that's such a shame to hear because, you know, we should be able to talk about these things and learn from them and move forward. I'm going to come back to a few of the points that you made Anne, later in the episode. I just want to bring Stuart back in at this point to ask you, Stuart, what's the best way to approach this topic of weight or body size, especially if you notice perhaps that one of your colleagues who's a health professional is um, using weight stigma in their day-to-day practice. How would you recommend kind of initiating that conversation and addressing that with them?
2: I, I think it would depend on um, uh, you know how they're potentially uh, you know commenting or talking or, or behaving in a, in a stigmatizing fashion. So if we're, if we're talking about terms, um, and one thing that I would certainly say is that um, you know there's a lot of different terms and, and even preferences for uh, different types of terms that are used relating to, to weight. And so what I would always suggest, where uh, where possible, is that. Professionals working with with um, with people um, where there's a need to discuss weight, um, if they can, try to elicit the terms that people are most comfortable um, with with you using. Um, you know, there's been research calls, um, there's been professional bodies, public health bodies who have. Advocated, for instance, for the use of person-first language, which I do think is important and is based on the premise of putting a person before a condition, and as such, people are not defined by their condition um, or um, a person's characteristic or a person's out, out um, outcome, for instance. Um, but likewise, there's also groups who prefer, you know, oops, other words such as the word "fats" uh, rather than "obesity." Um, Again, I go back to understanding people's preferences, I think is the most important uh, piece. Um, And I think it's important to avoid terms that people do dislike, um, as we know that this can impact people's um, engagements. Um, If it's, for instance, in a healthcare setting, um, this can also trigger people uh, where, for instance, um, using a a term that people dislike, may lead to recalling of bullying or harassment-related incidents, for instance, where a, a word might have been used. The word fat, for instance, is often cited as a term that is used um, in these types of you know, bullying experiences, for instance. Um, it's also used in media portrayal, uh, as well as the word fatty, for instance, uh, as well as um, the derogatory language. So you know, terminology is important. Um, but what I would say is that there isn't a universally accepted term um, that, you know, everybody will prefer uh, or may dislike, for instance. So <clears throat> eliciting preferences, I think, is important. Um, in terms of uh, trying to reflect, because a lot of stigma is also unconscious. You know, we, we're in a society where, um, in many instances, it's encouraged to behave in a stigmatizing manner. And stigmatizing information, uh, particularly in the media, um, may be a daily occurrence um, So people may experience this daily. So we're internalizing a lot of information. And in some instances, people might not necessarily know or appreciate that they're behaving in a discriminatory or a stigmatizing manner. So, you know, and I think that's important to to note too. Um, but one thing that we can do is really reflect on, on the way that we're potentially thinking, the way that we're potentially behaving if we're a healthcare professional, how are we approaching a topic with somebody? Would we approach same, uh, a, a, the person in the same way, if it was about a different topic, for instance. Um, and I've, I've tried to, you know, highlight differences in policy pieces, for instance, um, uh, and it, it's also been highlighted, for instance, in settings and um, healthcare settings where um, a person's approach or a policy framing of, for instance, weight or obesity, comparing that with the framing of um, a health condition, such as uh, cancer or diabetes, may be very different. Um, and actually, if you look at the portrayal of, for instance, uh, cancer, and this is not to say that health conditions are the same or outcomes are the same, um, but what I am saying is that everybody should be treated with the same dignity and respect. So, in a healthcare setting, um, w- n- irrespective of what a, why a person attends a healthcare setting, everybody should be treated with dignity and respect. And uh, hopefully, everybody listening to the podcast, I mean, I certainly would hope that I'm treated with dignity and respect. Um, irrespective of whether I go in there, uh, go to a healthcare setting because you know I've injured myself um, or because I'm going about a, a health um, a complaint or an ailment or other. So, <clears throat> but what we can actually see is that the approaches that healthcare professionals may have towards somebody um, might be very different if it's about weight compared to um, uh, other outcomes. Um, and we know from research that, for instance, Healthcare professionals um, may have uh, less respect for uh, people who uh, have a higher weight. We know that it can impact, for instance, the amount of time spent in consultations. People spend less time, uh, healthcare professionals have spend less time in consultations when it's about uh, weight or obesity uh, compared to um, consultations with lower weight counterparts uh, and so on. So, you know, it, it does impact behavior and um. You know, this can be seen on a professional level in terms of one-to-one consultations or other, but also can be seen in, in policy documents or, um, or, or even media portrayal, for instance.
0: Yeah, that's, that's very interesting, Stuart. Um, in terms of sort of changing practice, are there any guidelines or websites or courses that you would recommend for health professionals who perhaps want to, um, you know, minimize that risk of them um, exerting weight stigma in a consultation with a patient, for example?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's very pertinent because there's a lot of um, courses that are uh, uh, have, have been launched quite recently. So, for instance, you know, um, I know that uh, the Royal College of GPs have launched a course um, uh, in 2021, which is related to weight stigma, quite brief, um, so, you know, is isn't exhaustive, and, you know, there's, I think there's more that, that could go in there, but, you know, there are courses that are, um, uh, you know, are... are uh, becoming available from different professional organizations. And I say RCP, GP is one, um, you know, there's, there's, uh off the top of my head, I believe that um, there's a course from uh, uh, well, there's definitely some information and um, uh, resources made available by the British Dietetics uh, Association. Um, but One thing that we can do as individuals is, is, you know, is I think reflect on um, our own, um, I guess perceptions, uh, potential stereotypes, as I mentioned, that you know, we may well have internalized and may well actually have taken on um, negative attitudes towards people based on weight status, You know, critically reflect on the attitudes and behaviors that we might uh, exhibit towards uh, people. Um, we can also make use of things like unconscious bias measures. There's, there's quite a few that are available. There's some um, unconscious bias measures that um, were developed by um uh the three institutions in the us harvard washington uh, um um that's uh, available project implicit so we can take these types of um you know tests and, and courses and try to identify where we may hold a bias or, or a negative attitudes towards people based on weight status but there is certainly a lot of information out there a lot of resources um but still lots more to 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 i think achieve in this space
0: in terms of the terminology, um, so Stuart, you've obviously talked about that from an academic perspective, but Anne, I wanted to bring you in here to ask if, you know, you have any preferred terminology when we're we're discussing this topic.
1: Yeah, I do. And just just before I mention that, I actually I actually did one of those um, the bias questionnaires this morning just to see where, how I fared, and um, luckily I, I I see people of a higher weight and and people who are slimmer equally. So I was quite pleased with that. It was, so I really, really would encourage people to to have a go at some of the tools that are available. You can find loads of them online just to see, you know, whether or not they have an undisclosed or, or secret bias. But, um, yeah, in terms of terminology, it is, it is. I don't think, I honestly don't think that we've got it yet. It's, it's so individual and... The I mean I I am um, um, watch, I'm a group member of of various Facebook groups which talk about weight stigma. Um one of them is the mindful dietitian, which is run by some some lovely dietitians from Australia uh, who are very busy in this sort of um space. And they were starting to use terms like um living in a larger body. And I, I absolutely hate that because as as a five foot one um, relatively petite, except for my, you know, weight. Person, I have found that very weird because I'm not a large person. I'm I'm small but overweight. But it, and the other thing is, it reminded me very much of when you say living in a larger body. It sounds to me like you're a person trapped in in a large body, which reminds me of those really old. Um, cartoons there's dreadful cartoons on weight management that we used to see back in the 90s and one of them was you know a thin person living in a fat person's body trying to escape you know um, and the other the, I actually was reading a lot on the personalization issue recently and and you know using personal direct language um, is really important however I didn't particularly like the term person living with obesity because to me, it just this is purely um, personal preference, not based on any evidence or anything. It's just me and my opinion. But to me, that sounds like I'm living with a disease. And I mean, I'm, I'm a healthy person. I, I can exercise, I walk. I have no health problems whatsoever except for the occasional cough and cold um, which, you know, I've recently got over a cold as Harriet knows, that's why I still got a slightly croaky voice. Um, but you know, I don't have diabetes. My my cholesterol is lovely. Um, I'm just, you know, just living my life and I'm not living with a, a, a disease. Now that people might disagree, but it's it's not I don't feel like I'm living with a disease. So and I'm sure there's there's lots of other people out there who potentially might feel the same. Um, but you know, I I tend to use uh, I, I vary. You might, have, you might have noticed I vary with the terminology that I use. And I think that it's very important that we ask people. So, you know, sometimes I, I don't mind that. I, I grew up in a medical family, so I'm quite happy to use medical terms to describe my weight. But um, I, even though I do have a BMI of 30, I never use the word obese because it's really horrible. <laughs> I always say so heavy or overweight, even though I know clinically I'm not quite in that range. Um, This just seems to be a real thing about just going, verging into that horrible word. But, um, yeah, I just, I think that people need to be asked and I think that we have to be extremely mindful that potentially this area will, the ultimate in thin privilege in my view is is people who are thin, you know, sort of um, telling us what terms we can use for for weight. So uh it needs to be something that's done with people in, in that community really.
0: Absolutely. I think your point there about, you know, if and doubt, ask and, and speak to the person in question about terminology, that's you know the, the most important thing you can do. Um, and I wanted to ask you a bit about the consequences of experiencing weight stigma. For you personally, what has the impact been on your life, both professionally and personally?
1: I mean, obviously, I've mentioned already professionally, um, in terms of just visibility as a freelance dietitian. Visibility, if you want to use social media platforms and uh, marketing, is is quite important. And potentially, there's opportunities that I I would have gone into in media, which obviously I, I wouldn't because I'm not brave enough. As discussed previously, personally, I think that I think there's a lot of self doubt because. Even though I'd like to think that, and I can't even say it, but I, I, I'd like to think I'm a good dietitian, And I, I, I genuinely think my knowledge is very good. That's one thing I can say. In, having been a previous lecturer, et cetera, you'd have to know everything. But, um, I, although I don't know everything, but I, I like to learn. Um, I think that it's, it's a confidence knock. And interestingly, some people might say to me, well, if, this is, if that's your problem, why don't you just lose weight? it'll It'll solve everything it'll go away. The thing is if I, if I do lose weight, I'm still the same person and I still have the same brain and the same knowledge and the same dietetic experience. It'll make absolutely no impact on the way that I perform my role as a dietitian, except for potentially my confidence might increase, but that'll be based on the fact that other people's attitudes will change. So the only difference will be my reaction to your attitude you know there's there's nothing other other than that there'll be nothing that changes around the way that I practice and my knowledge and my abilities so yeah I think confidence is probably it's probably the main thing it's it's um it's not stepping out and and also thinking well if people have this attitude towards me can I actually do this job in the way I should so I think that's that's the only thing, really. Personally, I mean, it's it, it's hurtful, and it's not all the time. I have some very good support from dietitians. I don't want to make this into a woe fest, but um, when it does happen, it's 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 quite hurtful, you know. And it's um, um, you know, we're just people, and you have to remember that that your peers who are at a heavier weight are, are just people, and um, we we're just trying to do our job like everybody else. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and everybody has feelings, of
0: course. Um, Stuart is. Uh, what Anne said is that backed up by your findings and research. You know the effects on confidence, self doubt, etc. Can you talk us through that a bit more?
2: Yeah, it's it certainly is. Um, what we do know, and I, I think we'll um, maybe touch on the the effects of of weight stigma um, a bit later. But what we do know is that weight stigma experiences of weight stigma is associated with. Um, uh, both physical and mental health concerns, and some some of the mental health concerns may include, for instance, increased uh, depression, anxiety. Um, but what we also know is that it um, may lead to reductions in self esteem, self worth, confidence. So, you know, what Anne's saying is is very relevant, and uh, I think it's very relevant when it may impact a person, um, a person's profession, for instance, so where the profession is also associated to. Um, The topic, um, it can have um, quite an important uh, and quite detrimental impact. Um, We also know it's associated with increased cardiometabolic risk factors, um, which will be related to the the stress uh, experienced as part of um, experiences of weight stigma. There is also research that's highlighted the um, experiences of weight stigma are associated with increased risk of mortality, and that's independent of weight status. So Um, certainly uh, experiences of weight stigma are detrimental and and can impact people in many different ways. Now, that's health, um, but what we also know is that it can impact people in terms of their behaviours. So we know that these experiences are associated with um, increased risk of disordered eating, for instance. Um, We know that it can uh, delay um, or, or even lead to avoidance of health healthcare or health-seeking behaviour can lead to avoidance of physical activity settings. um, Also, because we know that physical activity exercise settings is is another setting where weight stigma often plays out. Um, So, you know, it can have, you know, quite a detrimental impact in terms of health-related behaviours as well as, of course, health outcomes.
0: And in terms of um, thinking ahead to more of a kind of political level now, we've obviously talked a lot about the impact on healthcare professionals and and day-to-day practice. Um, So Boris Johnson recently talked about his weight and his recent hospitalisation for COVID-19. And since then, we've also seen a a big focus on weight management um, in terms of political agendas, for example. And what comes to mind for me is Cancer Research. They had their controversial campaign recently suggesting that obesity perhaps causes cancer. So, Stuart, from an academic perspective, does weight stigma actually motivate people to lose weight or is the opposite true? Uh,
2: it's certainly the opposite. Uh, when we're looking at literature, we're looking at evidence you know, there is actually an abundance of evidence now that, that demonstrates. I say now, actually, it's been around for a while, but um, certainly now we, we do know that experiences of weight stigma for, for people with higher weight status um, has a very detrimental impact. So I've just talked about uh, some of the impacts in terms of impacts on health and health-related behaviors. Um, you know, there's there's a wealth of information. Um, so, um, you know, the, the continued uh, topics that often come up in the media – um, that will question and, and say, well, you know, can uh, experiences of weight stigma, they'll often use fat shaming in the media, um, It's not, a, not terms that I would use myself, um, can it be beneficial? The answer is no, and we've known that it's it's not true, and we know that it has a detrimental impact. We've known that for a long time. And um, I think the easiest way for us to really think about this is to really boil down what these experiences represent. So, you know, weight stigma really, uh, and the experiences people have, what they really are is bullying, is harassment, is victimisation, and I think when we, you know, think about what these experiences actually represent, um, you know, they're all elements of discrimination. If you look at um, the Equality Acts, if you look at the uh, descriptions of what this discrimination actually is, victimisation, harassment, bullying is all there. It's all part of that. You know, so these experiences are clearly very, very unpleasant and are clearly going to be very harmful for people they're not positive they're not beneficial um so when the media asks this question or or anywhere else um in any other setting this question is asked the empirical evidence tells us that they're extremely detrimental
0: thank you Stuart and I'm wondering if you've got anything to add on that note
1: no I mean it's, it's, it's obviously the, the evidence is, is absolutely clear but it's um I think it's quite ironic that often the cruel to be kind theory um, comes up when people sort of use the, you know, excuse for mentioning weight and that, well, I'm just trying to help, when indeed it, it, there's no evidence to suggest it's of any use at all. As, as you say, it's quite the opposite. Um, yeah.
0: Stuart, just going back to your recent research, you've been working on a paper looking at, exploring the awareness attitudes and actions of uk adults at high risk of severe illness from covid and it looks at how covid disproportionately affected higher risk groups during the first lockdown now people listening might be thinking well by identifying someone as high risk based on their bmi is that not perceived as stigmatizing can you talk us through that
2: yeah. And, and first, what I should uh, just be clear with the, uh, for the podcast listeners is that um, the high risk grouping was based on the UK government's criteria for grouping rather than ours as a research team. So um, we were really you know, looking at um, how the government's criteria of, um, of uh, grouping people into the, the high risk groups as such and how that impacted people. And of course, the restrictions which were then associated with um, the high risk grouping. Um, so what I would say is, yes, it could potentially be stigmatizing, um, not only in terms of the grouping of people based on weight status, uh, and therefore not considering other factors that actually we know are associated with a higher risk um, and indeed uh, are associated with higher weight status, um, such as environment or level of deprivation. So that's not really that's not being considered as part of this. but there's also questions, of course, in terms of the use of body mass index to assess risk, uh, particularly given some of the limitations of using body mass index as, a, as an indicator or a measure of a person's weight status. You know, those limitations may mean that people are included in a, in a high risk group when um, uh, body mass index may not actually be capturing um, uh, weight status accurately.
0: Thank you, Stuart. And in terms of the future directions for that research, how are you hoping that these findings will be implemented, you know, in clinical practice, for example, or at a political level?
2: So the aim of that study was, um, was, was one to see how it's uh, impacted uh, people because of the restrictions, so the greater restrictions that people ultimately experience and how that then uh, has impacted people in terms of mental health, for instance, uh, has impacted people in terms of their Uh, engagement in different types of health-related behaviours, so uh, how it's impacted, for instance, sleep and diets, physical activity, Um, but also people's use of risk-mitigating behaviours, so use of masks, social distancing and so on. Um, We then followed that project up with um, some of the qualitative uh, work Um, and there's quite a good sample. There's over a 1,000 people who participated in this work. Um, And what we can see in terms of stigma is that um people have experienced stigma during the pandemic um and in some instances, this has been because of the greater focus so you know there has been a focus around increased risk of severe illness for people with a higher uh, weight status. That's been you know quite a common theme throughout the media, for instance, over the time of the pandemic um but what has been um, evident is in um, uh, has been a, a under an undertone of stigma throughout where people have ultimately been blamed uh for uh their weight status and therefore the uh, associated higher risk from from covid um and there's also been it's also been very evident that um uh the solutions uh, as such or interventions have been posed on very much an individual level and again we know that ultimately this will lead to Greater uh, blame towards people, but also internalization of um, messages such as being perceived as uh, a failure, for instance, and other, which is very evident again within not just media portrayal, but um, a lot of the rhetoric that we may see across society, which is related to weight. So, um, certainly, stigma has been very evident throughout uh, the pandemic. And because of the greater focus relating to obesity, um, you mentioned, for instance, Boris Johnson himself. Uh, having COVID and attributing that to his weight status. And that has potentially also led to increased experiences of stigma during the pandemic.
0: Thank you, Stuart. Now, Anne, I'm going to come on to you now with, I guess, a million dollar question, which is, you know, as dietitians, how do we go about tackling this increasing, um, obesity crisis whilst also addressing oh, weight stigma? <laughs> I mean, I appreciate it's kind of a, a heavy topic to ask you about, but yeah. do you have, do you have any yeah. ideas? Because I'm sure a lot of dietitians <sighs> listening will be thinking, yes, well, that's all good and well, but we still have an obesity crisis. So do
1: you yeah. have any Is it a crisis? I don't know. It, that, that's a question I don't want to get into, but, um, Oh, I don't know. It, it, do you know what? It was really strange. I I mean, obviously it, no one's solved it to this point, so I'm not going to solve it in the next five minutes. But um it's it really it I think that I was doing I was in a meeting this morning discussing a diabetes in the community program um with a, a local um PCN, um DP Centers, whatever they're called now. And um the I was discussing the fact that people weren't taking um, the, the offers for groups and, and consultations and suggested that potentially, you know, the big focus on weight immediately could be putting people off. And, and I was suggesting that perhaps we could focus some of our our workings away from weight-based outcomes and look at some of the behaviours which weren't centred on weight that we could, do, we could work on now. So it was like what can you do now that, that could improve your health but without that weight focus. And nobody in that meeting could get their head around that in, in at all. Um, so I was getting people who were paraphrasing me incorrectly by saying, well, so what you mean is we're talking about small goals towards weight loss. And I was saying, no, we, I was talking about focusing on some non-weight-related health outcomes <laughs> and trying to do that so that we can bring some of those in to encourage people to engage in their health Without that, maybe you know, unsurmountable task of reaching this massive weight loss goal, which which could be you know quite a way away from what their weight is at the moment. Um, so I don't know. I think obviously you know we can't solve that that obesity crisis because it's it's environmental, it's societal. Um, but I think that if we're going to deal with 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 managing um, people to to lose the weight then the trick is just doing it in a respectful fashion and and making sure that they're engaging people in their own health. I've, I find um, that it's, um, I don't feel, I've, I've used the health system a little bit in the last year or two in the United Kingdom and I think it's a wonderful system, but I've never felt like I've, I've been in a partnership with my health here and I think that it's involving people in a partnership and being respectful of where they are and of of them, no matter what shape or size, is, is the only way we can do it. So, yeah, I don't know if I can answer the question except to say that really, it's um, I think that it's it's focusing very differently on. I I mean I remember when I first started working here. I once had a consultant um send a patient down to me and said, "I'm just going to roll this man down to you now into your weight clinic." um see what you can do with him and the poor gentleman was was coming down to me and he's looked mortified and i think if we're going to engage people in the health that 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 was a person who was lost to the system already with that comment and i think we just have to be very very conscious of how we treat people and involving that in care yeah, so I don't know, that doesn't quite answer your question, but that's where I'm going with it. No, it's a, it's a huge topic. We could have a whole yeah. other podcast episode just on yeah. that alone. I, I think dietitians are very confused right now. I think that there is a lot of people who, uh, I trained in the early 90s and it was very much focusing on low fat and it was very much focusing on weight loss, weight loss, weight loss. And that was it. And I think that a lot of people now really want to use some of the kind approaches and some of the non-diet approaches but um, there's, you know, in, in helping people to lose their weight, but then there's a little bit of kickback from the communities who don't believe that those sort of approaches and tools should be used at all with weight. So I think I think they're a very confused profession at the moment in terms of how we manage weight. Sorry to interrupt you.
0: No, that's brilliant. Thank you. Um, Stuart, just to build on that as we come to the end of our episode, what more do you think needs to be done both in the workplace and the wider healthcare profession? to continue to address weight
2: stigma? I think there's some key things that that could be done in the different settings. Um, I think, you know, firstly, across society, what I would say we have lost uh, in society, uh, or or maybe we we just don't have enough of it, uh, is empathy, uh, is compassion, is respect and dignity. You know, and we've touched on these throughout the podcast, but, you know, this we, we don't see evidence of this when we're talking about obesity or working in the space of weight status, um, whether that's in healthcare, whether that's in the workplace, whether that's in policy or, or, or media portrayals or other. Certainly, the discourse um, and, and the way that obesity and weight management more generally is discussed in society. You know, doesn't have the empathy and the compassion and the respect and the, and the dignity that we see um, on other topics. So I would say that across the board, across society there's a lot that we could do. From a healthcare perspective, we really need to be thinking about how can we create settings that are weight inclusive? So irrespective of a person's weight status, body shape, um, you know is that setting uh, inclusive for everybody? Um, and that could be from the physical settings, in terms of the physical makeup of an environment. So, um, whether it's uh, the equipment or the facilities, um, to the, the attitudes and potentially um, addressing stigma amongst healthcare professionals themselves. And you know, and again, there's, there's lots of literature demonstrating that uh, people living with obesity, when they um, or, or um, they uh, attend a healthcare setting, may experience weight stigma from healthcare professionals. So there's quite a lot that could be done in that setting, in workplace setting. Um, you know, we know that people may be overlooked in recruitment processes um, or, or or promotion. Uh, we know that people experience weight stigma from fellow colleagues, from management. Um, you know, so, you know, workplace is another key setting. And you know, that makes sense because, you know, for uh, people working full time, they may be spending, nearly three quarters of their waking time in the workplace. So it is a key setting. For schools, I won't go through all of them, a, but I think schools is another key place because you know that's a, a setting where a lot of bullying and teasing uh, victimization uh, occurs. Um, often is the setting where um, people's first experiences of weight stigma um, are experienced. Um, <clears throat> but how can we, you know, really think about bullying uh, policies, anti-bullying policies? You know, how can we make sure that Uh, weight stigma, weight discrimination, uh, bullying, teasing, harassment relating to weight status uh, is included within anti-bullying policies within schools. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of actions that could be taken across the board. But I think there's some key messages for society as a whole.
0: Definitely. I think you've given us a lot of food for thought there. Um, If you were to give our listeners one takeaway action or message um, from this episode, what's that one thing that they could do? off the back of this to help to address this weight stigma issue.
2: And I, I think it's good that you asked me what, what I think people could do themselves, because we often think about other people. Uh, and actually, in many instances, people will, will believe that they don't hold stigmatizing attitudes or or discrimination. Again, I mentioned earlier, some of this could be very much unconscious. We're exposed to so much information that, you know, it might not be a surprise Um to, to find that actually you may have stigmatizing attitudes yourself or you may uh, have, hold some um, some stereotypical views of people which are actually based on weight because that's what we've been told over and over again. And the reality is, is that when we get consistent messaging, uh, we get constant messaging that tells us something, then it's likely we're going to start to take some of those, those, um, those viewpoints on. So the first thing I would do is reflect on Um, your own attitudes, your own perceptions, your own beliefs, uh, where possible, and, you know, make use of, you know, freely available tools, which could be, you know, tests online, unconscious bias tests, for instance, you know, really think about what we're doing. You could even compare some, you know, for for healthcare professionals, um, or academics, uh, who might be listening to this, have a think about, you know, maybe even look at some of the work that you've developed, you know, where you've you know, develop some work relating to weight, weight status if you're working in this space or you've covered weight as part of, you know, other pieces of work. And then have a look and compare, you know, are you talking about people in uh, with the same level of respect? Um, are you communicating in similar ways? You know, can you actually identify any differences between your approach to people, um, you know, when it's related to weight compared to other topics? You know, I think that self-reflection is key.
0: Thank you, Stuart. And we can link to some of those resources in the show notes as well. Um, definitely. And um, Do you have any, a key message or a key action that you'd like dietitians to take away from this
1: episode? I think, um, I can't perfect on, on what Stuart just said. It's spot on. It's, um, I had a list of things that could be done, but it's going back to that first step and taking stock of, of your own views is, is really crucial. Um, I think that I think that if you look at the bigger picture I think it's looking at how we we speak about all about not just dietitians within the profession but all other health professionals and our patients and our attitudes towards um towards them are sort of reflected very much on on the on the profession um I also think that it needs to be done in our universities in our training and I know that a lot of universities are starting to cover these topics now within their um the with well, their weight modules and their, their general um, modules in dietetics and I think that's brilliant because a lot of the stigma is uh, sort of rolled onto a bigger snowball during during the lectures in in dietetics I remember some pretty horrific lectures in the early days as well um so yeah i i I can't perfect on just taking stock of your own I, beliefs and views and and so that's perfect.
0: Thank you, Anne. And I definitely can relate to that, you know, four or five years ago when I was studying as a dietitian, I, I don't recall there being much education on weight stigma. So I think there probably is a, a bit of a way to go in terms of training that future generation of professionals. So that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much to Anne and Stuart for sharing their valuable knowledge and experience with us. Anne and Stuart's social media handles will be linked in the show notes for you to take a look at. A huge thank you to New Outra for making this podcast possible. If you enjoy listening to The Dietitian Cafe, please consider subscribing or leaving a review or five-star rating so that we can reach even more healthcare professionals. You can follow New Ultra on social media at New Ultra across platforms to keep up to date with the podcast and to hear the latest updates on medical nutrition. Thank you for listening and our next episode will be out soon.